Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Today, I'm excited to welcome Jason Thacker as a guest on the podcast. Jason serves as an assistant professor of philosophy and ethics at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. He is also a research fellow in Christian ethics and director of the Research Institute at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the author of several books, including Following D- Jesus in the Digital Age and The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. He also serves as the editor of the Digital Public Square, Christian Ethics in a Technological Society, and co-editor of the Essentials in Christian Ethics series with BNH Academic. He is the project leader and lead drafter of Artificial Intelligence and Evangelical Statement of Principles, and his work has been featured in many different publications such as Slate, Politico, The Week, USA Today, Christianity Today, World Magazine, The Gospel Coalition, and Desiring God. Jason, I'm excited to have you on. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Aaron. Well, it's good to have you here. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I was telling you before that um, the subjects of technology, the technological society, as your uh, as one of your projects puts it, uh, is a is a recurring topic here on Filter. It's one that just I'm personally interested in, and in, um, am always investigating, reading more books about to try to understand better. And so, uh, so it's exciting to have you on to get to dive into this topic again let's get started just tell us about your background where are you from and what uh what led you to doing what you're doing now yeah well i'm a native tennessean so i grew up in tennessee uh, middle tennessee specifically and we recently just uh, relocated to louisville kentucky or joined the faculty here at boyce college Uh, this wasn't ever really something i planned to do Uh, this wasn't my Hmm. goal or aspiration per se as i was actually here in louisville working my master's program thought i would be a church planter and a pastor Uh, the Mm -hmm. lord had a little bit of different things in mind Uh, but i grew up kind of surrounded by technology and i'm a little old to say that Uh, a lot of folks uh, didn't have the internet as as early as we did, but my dad worked for a Fortune 500 tech company. So I kind of grew up surrounded by technology, but I Mm -hmm. wasn't a technologist. I was someone who could kind of fiddle around, tear a computer apart, put it back together. I wasn't a coder, developer type of uh, technology user per se, but I was always familiar and kind of interested in a lot of these things. And so throughout the master's program and my time at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, I started focusing on how do we think rightfully, rightly about technology, how it's forming and shaping us as people. And a lot of this started with uh, reading a book called Homo Deus. It was, I love the subtitle. Uh, It's A Brief History of Tomorrow. It's by an Israeli scholar, historian named Yuval Noah Harari. And Mm -hmm. Harari was making some really bold claims about not only the current state of technology, but also a lot of future technologies. And I noticed there were these fundamental questions being asked about technology in the future and where we're heading. And that's really what's kind of started me out on this journey was diving into a lot of those questions and how do I think biblically and ethically about those uh, those type of questions. Yeah, that's good. That's really interesting. Um, 
uh, and I've seen that book, but I, I've never read it. Uh, and I, I've seen people reading it at the coffee shop and so on, but never got it for myself. So now, so now that I know that <laughs> it's really, that's a good recommendation. I'm, I might have to go pick that up sometime. My, the, the thing that sparked my interest in this topic was uh, digital minimalism that came out mm -hmm. by Cal Newport. Um, I'm a big Cal Newport fan. I, I think he's great. And, uh, and that book, it was the first thing to really, really open my eyes to, uh, consider like you know what is technology um, doing to us and mm -hmm. how has it shaped us in, in our society today how's it shaping our families and homes and then that led me down a journey of reading a lot of other stuff as well but I think that even though um, this topic isn't new to anyone who's been in the filter audience for a while there might be uh, people who are checking out this uh, this podcast for the first time and maybe this is their first time hearing this kind of conversation about technology and so even the idea of an intersection of thinking about technology and ethics together is new and different to them so just help us to understand what does it mean to to think about uh, technology and and ethics together um, at an intersection because um, I think that for a lot of us because we just kind of swim in this technological this digital environment uh, a lot of people um, uh, don't really think of it don't think of the same kind of questions that you're addressing in your work so can you just kind of help uh, introduce that and these questions the things that you address to the audience yeah, Aaron, I think you're right when you say that uh, we live in a very digital age, a technological society, whatever term you want to use, is that we live in a world kind of inundated with these technologies. We often don't think critically about them. We don't ask questions. And one of the things that I try to do in my work is to encourage folks to slow down. One of the, the kind of facets and features of technology is that it causes things to be faster, better, stronger, to be more efficient in every single aspect of our life. But reality is, as you kind of focus on with this podcast, is that wisdom and discernment really isn't an efficient cause. It isn't an efficient thing. It's very slow. It's often gained over time and kind of a slow kind of plodding pace. And one of the things when we think about technology, again, is to slow down, to ask some of these fundamental questions, and you naturally get into questions of ethics. But I think I think a lot of times when we think of the the idea of ethics, many of us maybe had a, an ethics class at some point, whether it was in high school or college or maybe going on to seminary or something like that, or we've had like a business ethics seminar that we've had to do in our office or in our job. And the idea of ethics, it always seems very disconnected. But the way that I talk about ethics is ethics is what do you do? It's all about your actions, it's all about your response. And so when we think of theology, theology is more of how God speaks to us, how he reveals himself to us. And when we think about the nature of ethics, it's really our response to that. What do we do? So the big question of ethics is not just can we do something, but should we? It's that slowing down and questioning and asking, should we do something? And that's where a lot of times with the intersection of technology and ethics comes into play, especially with even with artificial intelligence, is asking the questions of just because we can do something, should we do it? Should we adopt this new technology? Should we deploy this new technology? Should we develop it or use it in this particular way? What what's kind of the factors at play? What how should we thinking about these technologies? How they're forming and shaping us as people? Because if you go back to Romans twelve two, um, you see that Paul says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but to be renewed, re be transformed by the renewal of your mind." Mm 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's assuming you are being conformed to this world. And the thing that I kind of put forth in the age of AI and a lot of my other work is that technology has become one of the primary disciplers. It's making us, it's conforming us to the image of this world, regardless um, if we recognize that or not. And so the goal is not if you're being transformed, if you're being shaped or discipled by technology, it's in what ways are you? And that's what we try to do specifically in the digital public square and following Jesus in a digital age, as well as my first book, The Age of AI, is to slow down in this age of efficiency and speed to ask some of those fundamental questions and to start to think through, especially with AI, even questions like, what does it mean to be human? That's a center, center question, central question to the whole idea of AI and where we're heading. Because one of the things, if we slow down and ask some of those fundamental questions, we'll sidestep some of the just symptomatic questions and really get to the core of things that I think can help then shed light and kind of inform the way that we navigate a lot of the opportunities as well as the challenges before us. Yeah, that's good. And I think that you uh, you brought up like one of the, the central things that might help people to understand this with the idea of efficiency. And, you know, we, especially I think Americans, value efficiency so much. And so anytime a new technology or a new iPhone app comes out that promises to make our life easier and more efficient in any way, we're quick to just immediately want to adopt it. Mm-hmm. And we forget to realize until we start to have this kind of a conversation that there's trade-offs with all of this. There's trade-offs and people might think, well, what trade-off? It's a free app that I can download. It's like, well, no, it's, it's costing you in some other way. It's costing you in, in, in attention. You know, and, and what, what, what does that mean to lose that attention? Or it's costing you in, in this or that. It, it, it's forming you in this way. And, uh, and, and people just tend to not take those trade-offs into account. And so, uh, it's, and so that's why I think that these kind of conversations are so important, especially as um, I, th- I think that, you know, what the iPhone did in smartphones for taking like the media world and then just saturating our life with it before the iPhone, it was still somewhat uh, easier to keep uh, boundaries with, but now with it just always in our pocket and all things it can do, it's just, it's saturated part of our lives. I think what the iPhone did, AI is going to do um, in the future, even more uh, like, like the smartphone uh, with just saturating our lives even more and uh, and then impacting us even more. So let's go ahead and talk about uh, AI. Uh, that was the subject of your first book, which was called The Age of AI, and uh, talking about AI and the future of humanity. A lot of big ideas here because we have to, it it makes us ask the questions of not just what is AI, but what is humanity, like you talked about a moment ago. Let's just start with that first question. Help people to understand, you know, even even myself, (laughs) I'd struggle to define it on some days. Uh, Help us understand what is AI? What are we talking about? Yeah, it's a really important place to start because especially today, we see wall-to-wall media coverage on AI, how it's shaping, transforming, changing everything. Some people are extremely optimistic about the future of kind of where we are, especially with AI, and some are very, kind of look very pessimistic, very dystopian view of where we're heading. Mm -hmm. And if everything is AI, then nothing is AI. And I think we need to be very particular about what we mean by AI. Reality is, is that we're all utilizing AI influencer-based tools every single day, whether we realize it or not. It reminds me of a quote from the um, famed computer scientist Ray Kurzweil that said, if tomorrow, this is kind of a sci-fi dream, but the idea of all of our AI systems that we use each and every day wake up 
you know, gain consciousness or something like that, the world would grind to a halt. Manufacturing, communication, media, defense, spending, economics, everything about our lives would uh, slow down and grind to a halt because we're utilizing these tools every single day, whether we realize it or not. Yeah. But what happens often, especially before the last nine months or so with the rise of generative AI, the popularizing of generative AI, that this technology has been around for a number of years, what we saw was is that we could easily kind of keep AI at arm's length. It was always, well, yeah, one day we need to think about that. One day we're going to have to navigate that, but it's not really something that's pressing. But with the release of ChatGPT3 from OpenAI last fall and then a lot of the new kind of generative AI tools coming, it really took the world by storm. But artificial intelligence is simply the ability of a machine to perform a human-like task. We see this whether it's in a very narrow context in terms of translating speech, predictive text. That's what we're seeing in G GPT. It's generative predictive transformer. It's mm -hmm. the idea that it can transform text. It can predict what's to come next and do so with a high level of accuracy. And in many ways, what we're focusing on, and one of the things we have to remember, and a lot of times with AI is we can, our minds can easily go to kind of sci-fi movie plots. We can think of kind of Hollywood thrillers about the robots waking up and things. That's dreaming about what might be in the future, and we can talk about that with general intelligence, artificial general intelligence, and super intelligence. But what we're dealing with right now is a form of, it's a narrow AI system. Very, It's narrow in the sense that it has a particular application. Things like Siri, things like Alexa, things like smart thermostats or smartphones, anything that's considered, quote, smart is often driven by some form of artificial intelligence, albeit even rudimentary forms in terms of algorithms, recommendation algorithms, searching, the what's up next on Netflix, or you might be interested in on Amazon. We're utilizing these tools each and every day, but it's typically the ability of a machine to perform a human-like task, meaning making a decision, a recommendation, writing something, generating video, art, uh, audio, any type of things like that. And so we're utilizing these tools each and every day, especially from our smartphones to our smartwatches, whether we realize it or not. And so these are some mm -hmm. of the questions that we need to be asking and starting to slow down and say, what is AI? How is it forming and shaping us? And then what do we do in response? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. And I think that, you know, you're right, that though this has been around for really a long time. Um, I mean, like, so just for example, like predictive text, uh, on uh, iPhone iMessages has been around for a really long time. I can't remember when that feature initially uh, popped up on the phone, but I mean, it's been around forever. And, and, and you know, and people in all this time just didn't realize that, like, oh, that's AI. And in a sense, ChatGPT is just like a far more advanced machine doing the same thing that people's iMessages have been doing and with predictive text, uh, or like Gmail will do predictive text too now. Um, and so yeah, people don't realize that it, that it's not something that just popped up. Like you said, nine months ago, it's been around for a while. But as you stated, uh, what did pop up at least into popular consciousness, you know, nine months to a year ago, with ChatGPT, OpenAI, you know, and then Bing and Google and all the other ones rolling out their um, chatbots, uh, it does seem to be something new and different. So what, like, what is the the big step and forward? What is the change? What is like, why, why does this seem so different than just what we've been dealing with in the past, like getting recommendations from Amazon or Netflix or predictive text on our phone? What makes these chatbots uh, seem to be a big step forward? What's so different about them? 
Yeah, a lot of this comes down to the type of uh, AI called generative AI. And that sense is that it can generate text, it can generate audio, video, images, artwork, all sorts of different things. And I think there's a lot of different theories on why this has kind of taken our society by storm. I think a lot of it comes down to the development and the uh, utilization of these tools. I think it comes down to a lot of the hype, kind of especially the media hype surrounding AI. But I think it's one of the interesting things about generative AI in particular is I think we've long seen the ability of automated tools, various forms of automation, various forms of AI and kind of recommendations and things like that, that seemed very simplistic. Uh, very simple in terms of what their job was. It was very defined. But what's interesting with generative AI is that I think it blows people's minds that you can ask a system like this a question and it it comes back with an outline or a two or three paragraphs. Or, you know, the other day I was playing with OpenAI's image generator and kind of playing and making an oil painting between two great ethicists. And it was just fun to kind of play around with it. But I think one of the interesting things and one of the shifts that I'm seeing is that with we've always assumed what it meant to be human or most people have assumed what it meant to be human was high levels of rationality high levels of creativity that we were distinct yeah other maybe animals think but we think in a totally different way we're intellectual beings we're rational creatures in that sense and that we always could see a distinguishing factor between humanity and the rest of creation with generative AI, I think that's challenging some of those presuppositions. It's challenging some of those basic ideas of what it meant to be human because we've often valued, said, human dignity, value, and worth is based on the things you do. It's based on the things you contribute. What interesting to note about is that the Christian moral tradition, the Christian ethical tradition, doesn't really say it's just based on what you do. It's actually based on who you are. And I think that actually gets into some very fundamental questions about the difference, because when we see these machines performing human-like tasks or outperforming us in particular ways or creating things, I think there's a little bit of fear baked into that of saying, okay, I thought that's what it meant to be human, but now I'm seeing this machine doing it, and I see this dissonance, this disconnect of, well, what does it mean to be human? And I think what's interesting to note is no matter if you're a person of faith or not, across our society, we're asking that question what does it mean to be human? Hmm. One of the arguments I make in the age of AI um, pretty early on was that we live in an age of irony. The age of AI is a bit of an ir ironic age in the sense that we seek to humanize our machines. We're asking questions about, well, what about consciousness? What about rights? We should give them names and faces. And we, how do we interact with these tools because they seem to be subjects like we are? So we're humanizing our machines, but interestingly enough, at the same time, we also ironically are dehumanizing ourselves. We're saying that we're nothing special. There's nothing unique. What we really are is just a complex set of matter and kind of organ. We're an organic computer, some will even argue. And so when mm -hmm. you start to blur the lines between a, an object and a subject, a subject and an object, humanity as a subject, someone, as the German philosopher um, Robert Spamel argue that the difference between someone and something, this terms of a subject and an object, I think that's really starts to open up saying, okay, now it starts to make sense. Maybe why are we so fearful or why are we so intrigued by these machines is maybe because we've had a very faulty understanding of what it meant to be human for a very long time, that mm -hmm. we based human value, dignity, and worth on the things we do rather than who we are. And specifically in the Christian tradition that we, we are image bearers of the Almighty God. It's not because we deserved it. It's not because we have great ra rationality, not because we have great intellectual abilities, not because we have relational abilities, not based on the things we do, but based on these rather than 
attributes is based on who we are rather than these capacities for things it's based on who we are this unchanging and unalterable status and so i think that's one of the reasons when we start to think about chat gpt when we start to think about other generative ai tools why it seems like things are changing that's my theory at least and kind of getting down to those fundamental questions because no matter if it's ai or other forms of technology these tools really aren't causing us to ask new questions per se but to ask these age-old questions of what is justice what is love what is right or what are rights what is liberty what does it mean to be human we're just asking them in light of some new opportunities and i think that's where it really is um, incumbent on us to slow down to ask some of these fundamental questions and to navigate the questions before us not with fear and not with unbridled optimism but a, a really hopeful realism an eschatological hope rooted in who jesus is what he did on the cross and the fact that the end of the story is already written so the question is what do we do in response what do we do next even though our kind of hope is fixed on Jesus, he's calling us to live in a distinct way in this increasingly digital age. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and uh, I, I love all of that. Um, and I, I do think, you know, you said, you said before that it's because it's making us ask these questions of, is this thing conscious? Can it become conscious? Um, does it have a personality? Should, you know, like you said, should we give it rights? You know, I've heard that uh, conversation before. And I, I think people don't really understand that conversation until they start to play around with ChatGPT or something like it and start to have a conversation with it mm-hmm. and, um, and start to get kind of sucked into the illusion. You know, uh, whenever I started to play around with it and, and investigate, uh, it quickly, I, I mean, I never started to think I was talking to a person, but quickly sucked me into, oh my gosh, this thing is incredible. I mean, like you said, it can, it can do an outline. It can write a story. It can give me some information. And, and, it, uh, and you know, even if you do have a good grounding in these big questions, um, it, there is still this, uh, this illusion there of, of a mind that you're talking to. And whenever you try to explain this to someone who's never um, been exposed to to that kind of like magical <laughs> mind, you know, in AI, they'll they'll say something along the lines of like, well, it's just a computer. And I think what it reveals is something about us as people and our nature, which is that we are just so prone to see personality in, in everything, um, you know, because, and, and it reflects on like who we were made. Uh, or, or, or what kind of beings we are made to be. We are made to be relational beings uh, with a personality by, uh, by a personal being with an, with an actual mind and personality and that we are made to know him. And uh, whenever people don't know him, it's easy to start reading that kind of personality into everything. You know, um, it makes me almost think of uh, ancient societies that would build a, uh, a, a wooden statue or stone statue and read a personality into that thing. Um, it's almost a similar experience you're seeing today with people who are getting deep into playing with AI. They start to just instinctually think, you know what? I think this thing is conscious. <laughs> I think it has a personality. And I just think that it reveals something about human nature. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that's kind of some of those ideas and some of those themes of like idolatry and what is how do we think through that? It always reminds me of Exodus 32 when we see um, Aaron and we see the, the golden calf and starting to navigate some of those those ideas, those themes of idolatry, I think not only are a central theme in the scriptures, but then how do we or how are we doing that even today? I think that's really interesting when we talk about AI, but even when we talk about a lot of transhumanist dreams and we talk a lot about biotechnologies and things, it can give us, we can live under this illusion that we are gods or that we are like God in that sense and mm-hmm. that we can have that power and that control. And a lot of times people will say, you know, hum- humans are co-creators or we're creating AI in our own image. And I think that can, having some of those framings, I think can be really unhelpful to navigate and kind of coming back to that idea, that distinction between a subject and an object, I think is a very helpful way to think about even some really crazy advanced machines and some really crazy things it can do is that there's a fundamental difference of what it means to be human versus what it means to be an object and what it means to be a machine in this sense. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about how these machines are designed. And so some of the concerns that come along with that, because uh, whenever you start to understand the way that something like ChatGPT or Google's, I can't remember the name of uh, their chatbot, but you know, a, a chatbot from Google or anyone else, other one that, that might come out. I think it's important to understand how these machines are designed because if people start to use them, particularly trusting them as a source of truth or, uh, or, or something along those lines, then that can be pretty problematic. Um, because once you start to understand the way they're designed, you start to see that there are some uh, <laughs> some very uh, reasonable trust issues that come up with what the machine believes and what it will tell you. So talk to us about that. Like, how does it learn what it knows? Um, and what kind of issues uh, or hesitations should we have when we start using them, particularly as sources of information and seeking out truth? I think it comes down to a lot of those fundamental questions earlier, what we were talking about, what is technology? I think we typically take one of two views. We either take like a tool-based understanding of technology that's essentially neutral. It's not really good. It's not really bad. Um, It's essentially neutral in the sense that it's just what really matters is how we utilize these tools. That's one way that we can think about it. Another way is that we can see these tools as almost like an autonomous kind of force or culture or being in the sense that it takes on, it shapes us, it forms us. We lose a lot of our agency and accountability and responsibility. And one of the things that I do and I address in the Digital Public Square volume is I have that first chapter on simply a tool is what we call it. And the idea of navigating what is technology. And often when I ask my students that, I'll say, what is technology? And I'll get a host of different answers often we'll get answers of examples of technology. But what I'm trying to ask there is that this kind of fundamentally philosophical question, which is interesting about AI because it's it's raising a lot of deeply philosophical questions. But getting in, I say, what is technology? And you say, what is it in its core? And when we start to understand that it's really not just a neutral tool, it is something that we use, but it's also something that's forming and shaping us in particular ways. These tools have values. These tools have designs. These these tools have specific purposes and designs in mind, not only by those who created them, but they almost take on some of these things on their own. They're not neutral. Nothing is actually neutral. I think that's a really important principle when we navigate anything in the public square is to realize that nothing is truly neutral in that sense, that everything has uh, distinct values and purposes and designs, just like these tools. And these tools are also not infallible. They often make mistakes. It's one of the Mm -hmm. really interesting things with ChatGPT 
ChatGPT is you can go and ask it a question that you know you may not have any kind of background or ideas or expertise on. You go, man, that sounds really great. But then you ask someone who's maybe studied that subject a lot or has been thinking about those things for years, and you go, ah, it's got some truth to it, but it's kind of making mistakes here, here, and here, or making these common assumptions. Why? Because it's based on a set of training data. Now, there's different forms of artificial intelligence. We need to make sure that we're not kind of lumping everything or kind of uh, putting everything on the same level and exact, works the exact same way. But at the end of the day, you typically have a high-level processor taking uh, using uh, vast amounts of energy and you also have a set of training data. Now, whether that's guided, whether that's unguided, whether it's just a, a massive set of data, a little bit of data, observations, show host of different ways and different types of AI systems that are being used. But there's a set of data, and there's also a processor, and then typically some type of supervision. So when you think of ChatGPT, it's really interesting because what it's doing is compiling resources from across the internet. Um, we actually don't know some of the in, uh, some of the um, data that is being use some of the information that is being used and we see even recently um, authors saying hey this system is uh, unlawfully adapting my ideas and my concepts and breaking copyright because that system should not have access to those things and we see lawsuits mm. going on right now about that so intellectual property rights and stuff but the idea is the system is making a prediction based on what it knows and what it has learned and what if it knows what if it is incorrectly identifying something what if it is incorrectly a mis or misattributing a quote, which is really interesting when you ask it something like, what's the most famous economics article from the 1950s? It'll pull 1950s and economics and maybe give you a, a major ec uh, economist, a major title or something that sounds right, but then you go back to an expert and they go, yeah, that was never written. That's not actually a real thing. Yeah. What, what happens though is because it seems so clear and it seems so quick and it seems almost kind of supernatural in some sense what these systems can do, we can have that inherent trust in them. But I think if we start to realize that not only are these objects, but they're fallible objects created by fallible human beings will step back and realize that yes technology is shaping our understanding and pursuit of truth and these machines are actually they're not neutral but they're also um, not always correct and so I think that's where we need to there may be uh, good ways to utilize these tools in our work in our research in our writing we have to be very careful about just assigning them and making them infallible for some reason or making them seem as if they're always telling the truth when they very well might not be yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and that's something that I discovered pretty quickly whenever I started playing around with it is I would uh, tell it to write an article on this topic, this many words long, and include quotes from like this, these people. And it wrote something and uh, and I was reading it and it was funny and, and, and to the and, and, you know, it, it did a decent job. And I was reading the quotes that it pulled up and I thought, wow, these are just these quotes are almost too good to be true. <laughs> you know? Like they're, they're, they're too relevant to this article. I, I don't know if this person actually said this. And so I copy pasted them into Google and sure enough, the quotes didn't exist. Uh, uh, chat GPT just made them up, but it didn't say that until I, t I, I confronted it. I said, you made up those quotes and it said, Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I was like, well, you, you can't do that. Uh, so yeah, it, it'll just make things up. It also did that for me with, um, I was trying to find articles, on, I don't remember what the topic was, but I was trying to find, or I, I knew of an article that was out there somewhere. I was having a hard time finding it, so I thought, I wonder if ChatGPT can find it. So I told it to find it for me, and it found the title. It was a New York Times article. It found the title for me. And then I said, well, can you give me the link? 
And so, boom, there goes a link. I click on it. It's a fake link. It even made up the link for me. Yeah. You know, now since I had the title, I was able to end up going finding it. But uh, but yeah, that's a th- it, it'll lie to you. It'll just make things up. Um, and like you said before, it's at first it seems as though it's grasp of uh, certain concepts. You know, or uh, like you said, nearly supernatural. Um, but if you talk to someone who really knows and understands the, those uh, areas, then you know it's usually kind of superficial. Um, go a little bit more into the issue of um, of how technology shapes us. Uh, I, I like that you mentioned before about uh, how it's a really a bad assumption to live with that te- that te- technologies are tools and they're just neutral tools. I think Marshall McLuhan had a great quote related to that, something about uh, only the... <laughs> I can't remember if he said the technological fool or technological idiot. But he said something along the lines of only the technological fool says that uh, they are neutral tools. Something along those lines. I don't know if you're familiar with that quote. But, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, because each of them, you know, to one degree or another, are shaping us and forming us and changing us. And can you just go into that a little bit more? Because I found whenever I uh, get to speak on this or just in personal conversation, it's always a point that's, that's a little hard to get people on board with. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear when we start to think about technology and the way it's forming and shaping us. You know, think about the cell phone or think about uh, social media, for example. You know, what's the first thing you you look at when you wake up in the morning? It's typically your phone to see kind of the things you miss. It's often the very last thing you see right before you go to bed to make sure you're not missing anything before you go to bed. Or mm-hmm. even listeners uh, or, or viewers to the podcast might see something where, you know, right now your phone is probably within about a foot of you at all times. Why is that? Why is it that we even have this uh they call it like a phantom vibration syndrome where you think maybe i think my phone just went off or you feel this longing to oh maybe i'm missing something let me go check my phone real quick and make sure i'm not missing anything these are conversations that happen all day every day in our lives Um, and it's really interesting to see the why is that the case why do we seem so addicted or why do we seem so connected to our phones at all times well i think part of that is revealing in the way that technology is forming and shaping us if these were just neutral tools you know it'd be really easy just to put down our tool and really never pick it up again. But the idea of we're, we long, we, we feel like we're missing something. We are kind of inundated with news and overwhelmed. We have breaking news alerts. You may even receive one right now, right in the middle of this podcast of a breaking news alert or what's going on, you know, this what's happening, what's happening. You got to stay connected at all times. I think that is revealing in some sense about the way that the kind of the nature and state of technology and what it is. It's not just as simply a neutral tool that we can use if we want to, we cannot use if we choose not to. Even those who seek to disconnect aren't ultimately able to disconnect. It always reminds me of um, I uh, intentionally never chose to get on to TikTok for various reasons that we don't have to unpack mm. today, but mm-hmm. I chose not to do that. But it's interesting the way that TikTok still shaped me and formed me because one day I turn the Sirius XM radio um, on in our car and one of the stations is TikTok radio. And it's really fascinating that I don't even utilize this technology. I'm not connected on that app at all. But it's still shaping even the things that I see in music. It's interesting how it shaped the music industry even. With TikTok, um, often they, these studios were changing the titles of their songs in order to make them more searchable on TikTok because the instant wow. popularity and the, the sales hmm. that could come from um, a, a video utilizing that music that went viral for some reason. 
So it's yeah. interesting to see the way that the pervasive and all-encompassing way of technology, how it shapes our society. Even the plumber driving down the street typically has follow me on Facebook or see me on Twitter or check in on LinkedIn or do this on Yelp or whatever. So it's interesting to see the way that technology is forming and shaping us in particular ways. These things aren't neutral. And I think that's one of the reasons that we can kind of pull away from this instrumentalist view of technology. But the other side isn't, it has its own problems as well. And so one of the things I try to do in following Jesus in a digital age is to chart a path, a what I believe is a biblical kind of Christian path in between these two ideals of technology just merely as an instrument or a tool, or technology as an almost unstoppable force to say, yes, we are agents. We, we have agency. We have accountability. We are an um, responsible for the ways that we utilize these tools but at the same time we also are being formed and shaped by them i think one of the things i try to argue um, in following jesus in the digital age is that there's really three distinct ways that technology is forming and shaping us one in our pursuit and understanding of truth our pursuit and understanding of responsibility as well as our pursuit and uh, kind of understanding of identity in terms of what does it mean to be human, how do we identify, how we relate to God, how we relate to others, because technology is forming its uh, distinct ways of how we understand who God is, how we understand who we are as image bearers, and how we understand how we're to interact with the world around us. Technology, and I think most of us at this point realize, these things aren't neutral tools. Uh, we've woken up in many ways to the power and the formative power of these technologies, but the same respect, these aren't something that we have, you know, we can kind of shirk responsibility, we can shirk our agency and accountability and say, well, it's just the tools that are doing this now. You know, that's not true either, and it's kind of a mixture of these two tools so, or these two views, taking the best of both worlds and showing how technology plays into the Christian story and how we as Christians are to ultimately love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors ourself. That central kind of framing command from Jesus himself in Matthew 22, that's really the center of the Christian ethic, the center of the Christian life. And then how do we then apply those principles as we move forward in an increasingly digital age? Yeah. One of the things that I've talked to people about with these uh, issues is we need to ask and investigate our hearts to see what am I using technology for that I should be going to Jesus for instead. Whether it's a sense of security, identity, um, uh, peace, uh, you know, comfort, um, uh, you know, whatever else it may be, a sense of control over one's life and uh destiny you know there there's so many of these these big longings and deep drives within us that i think if we're honest with ourselves and if we would be courageous enough to step back for a moment put the phone down go into a moment of silence where we investigate those things in our heart and say what am i really doing with yeah. uh with watching all endless youtube videos or endless memes and distractions and checking these apps and, and, and so on uh we often we always give these surface answers but i think there's always something very deep going on and that uh we should be going to jesus for instead uh but we're using these apps in the place of it it's a really important uh uh, exploration that we all need to go on, you know, and it'd be helpful to do it with someone uh, alongside us who can help us. Um, and that's really the foundation to doing, uh, to understanding and then living in a technolo technological world really well. There's tips and tricks, there's hacks you can do to put some boundaries that are, you know, thank God they're, they're helpful, they're good. But that's really the core if you want to fix it and kind of 
be able to step out of the matrix of it all. Um, once we've done that kind of work and discernment, like you've talked about and broken out of that assumption that we've been told that's just a neutral tool, you know, unless we move to rural Montana, we're not going to be able to escape technology, you know, for, for 95% of us, uh, it's here to stay. And so, um, how do we live wisely with these tools? Understand they're not neutral with digital media, with these devices. How do we live wisely uh, now uh, after we've thought about these things and start to discern what do I need, what do I not need, um, and go about that process? Yeah, I think it's important to remember that we can never really disconnect. It doesn't matter if we live in rural Montana or urban New York City. No matter where we are, we live in an increasingly digital society. These tools are pervasive. They're forming and shaping us as individuals, but also our society in large. And so I think a lot of it comes down to, I think, and you're rightfully to say, rightful, right to say that there's a lot of tips and tricks and hacks. Um, I often say that there is, um, you know, I can't give you a list of five ways to write your relationship with technology or to you utilize AI more efficiently or more, uh, more ethically, for example, is because often what we really need is not just a checklist of do's and don'ts, but really cultivating those virtues and those habits, cultivating a sense of uh, humility, cultivating a sense of um, kind of that virtue of slowing down and asking those hard questions as we seek to uh, to cultivate wisdom and discernment. I think that's one of the things that I really like about this podcast and the theme is cultivating wisdom and discernment because I like to say that the, the scriptures are a more than sufficient guide to navigate all of the challenges before us, including those of AI and other forms of emerging technologies. But what often happens is we look to scripture to say, well, what's our rule? Well, Paul never spoke about AI, so the Bible really doesn't have anything to say about it. That can be a really easy way to get out of those things. But the Bible is replete with helping us to rightfully understand. This is one of the things I love about the book of Proverbs is that it causes us to slow down, to realize that God is God, uh, who we are as human beings, the nature of the world around us, the understanding of what true knowledge is, and then what do we do in light of those things? And we start to think about rightfully ordering and understanding who God is, who we are as his image bearers, and how he calls us to live in this world. And that that's going to cultivate a sense of deep wisdom and discernment. You think that's the book of Proverbs, that's the book of Psalms, that's the even the the, uh, the letter of uh, James where he says to, you know, I love this, and James 119 says, be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. I think that's uh, especially prevalent today, uh, especially with social media, is that idea of slowing yeah. down, not being so quick to respond, is to slow down, to ask the hard questions, and to realize that God is still God. No matter the advancements, no matter the, the next steps, no matter the the new releases and developments to realize that God is still God, that God is still reigning, that God is on the throne, and that he's called us to live in a distinctly Christian way. And when we start to understand those kind of fundamentals and those kind of those big truths, and we start to then, what do we do next? We seek to cultivate that sense of wisdom and discernment that's rooted in love of God and love of neighbor. That's one of the reasons I was so thankful to be part of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. And in recent weeks and recent months, we passed the first ever denominational statement on artificial intelligence that's rooted and centered around human dignity how god made us in his very image that your value your dignity and worth is based on who you are not on the things you do and let that be the center of how we navigate this wild west or what seems to be a wild west of uh, artificial intelligence and emerging technologies is to love the lord our god with our heart mind soul and strength and to love our neighbors ourselves. and let that be something that yes we are individuals i love that you mentioned this earlier 
Yes, we are individuals, but we're also individuals in community. That's how God created us. We need one another. Mm -hmm. We can't do this Lone Ranger Christianity. We can't uh, give in to the lies of modern technologies and modernity that's all about me. It's this me-centered culture. It's all about me, 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 about my truth, my reality, my vision, my purpose. It's not just about me. It's actually about God and how he calls us as individuals in community to love God and to love our neighbors, ourselves, as we seek to cultivate that wisdom and discernment. It's not gained over overnight. And I think that's something we have to realize, especially with technologies, that our bad habits with technology did not form overnight and our better habits or good habits won't either. Wisdom and discernment is something that takes a long time. It's cultivating the sense of virtue and character and purpose and humility that's gained over the long haul. And so I think that idea of slowing down, starting to recognize limits and boundaries, start to think wisely and deeply about these tools will then help us to cultivate that sense of wisdom and discernment that's so desperately needed today. Yeah, that's good. And I like that you pointed out that uh, that it's, it, it might take time and that's okay. You yeah. know, we ha- don't have a sense of patience today with much of anything. And I think one of the main things we don't have a sense of patience with is ourselves. Uh, as a pastor, I regularly remind people that, um, that, you know, we're usually more in a hurry in our own personal growth than God is. Like at the rate that you're growing right now, uh, of course, ideally, you could always do better. You could always spend more time in in scripture reading could always spend more time in prayer and this and that um you know of course ideally you could always, you always do more but i always try to remind people but if you're just giving it your best i think that god's okay with that he's okay with your slow growth and um you know he made a lot of great things in this world grow slow and i think it's the same thing with us and so that's a good reminder to us to if you're listening to this and ready to like I put it before, step out of the matrix <laughs> and um, and get a breath of fresh air out of the uh, the you know te- this digital bubble we live in. Uh, be patient with yourself as you do so. Uh, learn that growth and wisdom is a slow process, but you know just like uh, just like a beautiful oak tree, uh, the the slow growth is worth it. So um, yeah, well you know we're kind of at the end of our time here. Um, You've mentioned your your books here uh, in the podcast, and I'm going to have those linked below so that anyone who is interested in going getting uh, Jason's books, you can just click on the link to the show notes below and pick those up. I will have those linked there so you can go and get them. I highly recommend it, Um, especially if this is a new topic for you that you're interested in exploring. I think that Jason's books could be the best place for you to start. you know, it's been a great conversation, Jason, and I hope that it's, it's one that uh, inspires people to continue learning more about these things and exploring it more and that uh, and that maybe even inspires some other people to uh, start doing serious work in ethics and technology as well. So, uh, like I said before, I've been looking forward to this and this conversation did not disappoint. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. So thanks for joining us here on Filter. Yeah, thank you for having me, Aaron. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the anchor.